Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 43. Welcome back, everybody. How was your week? <laughs> How was your week, Sally? Are you hanging in there? I'm hanging in there. I It is really just one day bleeding into the next day. <laughs> How about you? Is that, I'm trying uh, to think of something positive. Pretty much the same. I'm just I'm trying to keep myself busy every single day. Yeah. Some days are great. Some days are not so great. I do feel like that. It really is like a pendulum swing. Like some days I feel positive. I'm like, this is great. This is, I feel lucky. I'm getting out and exercising. And then some days I'm just like, what is the point of everything? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, this is awful. This It's always going to be awful. Same. I actually had a meeting with a doctor because I was like, I think I need something to get me through this, like a Xanax or something. Like I can't sleep. I'm like really stressed. So I had a meeting with the, with a doctor and she was just like, you know, just you're doing all the right things. Like I told her, you know, I do yoga and I'm like trying to meditate. I'm trying and she was like, just the best thing I can tell you is to just stay off of Facebook and stay off of the news. Like as long as you're quarantined and you're staying safe, there's no re- need to keep reading articles. Yeah. And I think that was like the best piece of advice that I got. All right, you're first. Okay. Um, my quickie, I know I said that I was not going to do Corona-based quickies, but it's so hard not to. I mean, that's just the world we're living in right now. That's what the Jen, news is. Just admit it. You love a theme. You love a theme. I do you love, love a theme. <laughs> All right, fine. I will do Corona-based quickies throughout this experience. So this quickie is an article for Bustle written by Carolyn Staber. I, I'm sure you guys have heard of many of your friends on Facebook um, or you know, making posts or, or just friends that you were invited to their wedding and had plans to go to their wedding. And now all of a sudden, things are having to be postponed and were canceled. Um, mm-hmm. I know that one of our listeners and good buddies, Libby White and Nathan Owens, Nathan Owens is from Fourth and Ten, which is a podcast that we love and we talk yeah. to those guys all the time. They're good friends of ours. Um, but they were supposed to get married. Actually, April, this like, next it? week. But yeah, they're having to um, postpone their wedding right now. And I just feel for them. But um, this article is about three couples that actually ended up live streaming their weddings amid coronavirus concerns. Yeah. This first couple, her name's Anna Favilla, and she said that before the outbreak, they had 126 guests that had RSVP'd yes to their ceremony. But her and her fiance, Ricky, were set to get married in a church in Colorado. And then they were going to have a reception at a nearby Tuscan-style venue with mountain views in the distance. Sounds that sounds beautiful. Amazing. Gorgeous. But then when they heard about, you know, the limits on social gatherings, they immediately had to cancel all of their venues. And then they decided to just say, I do online instead. They ended up live streaming their wedding through a Facebook wedding portal. And so everybody just watched them there instead. And then on the other side of the country, a New Jersey couple, Alyssa and Chris Cicitelli were also scrambling to reshape their big day after the governors of New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut, they all banned gatherings of more than 50 people. So they postponed the actual wedding to August. So hopefully we can still do it in August, but not all of their siblings could come. So we started to run through different options of letting them be a part of their wedding. They considered FaceTiming guests, but then they finally decided on live streaming on Facebook. Bride's sister took over the page for them and posted when the ceremony would begin. And within minutes, a hundred people were watching and they said that their family and friends loved it. And then another couple in North Carolina um, Danielle Burnett and Ismail Cruz also, when they found out that their wedding had to be postponed, they pulled together a new wedding in just three days. They picked up decorations, bought a cake at Publix, and asked their pastor to marry them via chat. 
So in front, <laughs> yeah. So in front of just a few guests and with the rest of everybody else watching through Facebook, Burnett's dad walked her down the aisle in their childhood front yard. The um, couple exchanged vows, and but throughout the live stream. Everybody was commenting in real li- real time, so now they have like a record of all of these comments of oh. and little special notes, which yeah. was great. A lot of them said that because their wedding was live streamed, that way more people were able to watch it on Facebook because now anybody that couldn't originally make it to the wedding could. Plus, yeah. everybody's home, and maybe people that weren't invited can now watch it, <laughs> even though you didn't invite me. But, uh, <laughs> but so they said it was very sweet. They said that you know people were commenting through the entire ceremony, sending them photos of their moms crying because it was such a beautiful ceremony, Aww. and everybody was thrilled to be a part of it. And now they have the instant video footage that they can save forever, along with the comments. Anna Favilla says that. The day that she found out, well, as she puts it, the day that everything shifted, mm-hmm. um, which that's such a good way to put it. The day that <laughs> everything shifted. Right, um, the day she, that we went into our separate <laughs> timeline. So she said that um, the day that everything shifted, she said that they knew that they still wanted to marry each other. And so even though that they couldn't have the wedding that they originally wanted, they knew that they were not going to postpone it and they needed to do the wedding anyway. And they're glad that they did. Yeah, I, th- I bet. I think that's great. Okay. Yeah, that's. It was a great quickie, and I feel <laughs> like anybody can have a wedding, right? You had a wedding. I had a wedding. They were cool weddings. Yeah. But like, how memorable is it going to be to be like, yeah, I had a Corona wedding. Like, I yeah. had a live stream wedding. Also, it's something you'll remember for forever. That's for sure. Think of all the money they saved. Yeah, dude. Maybe we need yeah. to have more live stream weddings. That was actually for you. I feel like that was like a really sweet quickie. I know. I, I, was I don't like, mean for you. I felt a like, little weird about it because I was like, hey, this is a nice quickie. I hope you guys like it. It's not my normal psycho killer um, pee napkin one like from last <laughs> week. Which, by well, the way, thanks for listening, guys, because I cringed about that all week. I'm like, I can't believe I did a story about a pee napkin. I, I'm just, Jen, Jen <laughs> texted me and was like, I'm so sorry. I was like, why? Why? I loved it. Well, I'm going to make you feel better about your pee napkin because okay. my quickie, I've been calling it around the house, my cock ring quickie. So, oh, my just God. So you know. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I'm not Jen, I'm not going to ask you about your sex life, but Thank you. I do <laughs> you're well, you're welcome. <laughs> I do have to imagine that there are a lot of people out there who are like getting bored during quarantine and are like, you know, they're pro- maybe they're trying new things to keep themselves occupied. <laughs> Oh I don't God. know. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. <laughs> so my quickie today is a cautionary tale for all those couples and the lonely dudes out there who are like, you know what? I should add some kink. To, you know, this is I've always wanted to try something new and now I'm going to finally do it. Right. So a 28 year old South African married man thought he would spice up his personal sex life by putting his wedding ring on his penis. How tiny is your penis? Right? How? How does... Okay. So he said that he had learned... He had heard about cock rings from his friends, and he decided to give it a try. But since he didn't have, like, an official one, he was like, oh, I have a ring because (gasps) I'm married. And so he decided to, like, shove that thing on his... Okay, he probably hadn't had – I know. He probably hadn't had sex with his wife in a while uh, because she had given birth to their newborn baby two (gasps) weeks earlier. Oh, my God. (laughs) I know. So he he gets the ring on, but, like, as you can imagine, since we're both grown adults and we know how penises work, once he got aroused – Things went downhill very quickly. Oh, like my he God. was very soon suffering from a rare condition that's known as penile strangulation. Oh, my God. His penis was like swollen and blue, and he tried everything to get it off. And then he did what any grown man in this situation would do. He called Butter. his mom and ha- he called his mom and uh-huh. had her take him to the hospital. <laughs> Oh my God, his poor wife. Can you imagine? imagine? A two week old, and you are so, you have so much going on and so much that you're worried about and so much stress. You're still bleeding. 
and trying to pull your body together and your husband right. has to go to the hospital because he put a, his wedding ring on his <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> oh. And I mean, like, I want to send her flowers. What? Hey, no, <laughs> seriously. Oh so the doctors, when he got to the hospital, were like, "This we've never seen this. This is a rare medical problem." So they actually, the reason we know about it is because they documented the whole thing for the South African Medical Journal. Why so, wouldn't you? Uh, why wouldn't you? I feel like this might be like where all of the men who listen to our podcast should maybe like take a breather, like maybe just like take a pause from the podcast. Cause I'm about uh-huh. to describe some bad things happening to a penis. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so here's your, here's your chance. Earmuffs. So surgeons twice failed to remove the ring while he was sedated one time using an orthopedic oscillating saw. Oh my God. That's she, what like, I was picturing. Like a cartoon character. <laughs> Yes. Of course, it it didn't work because it was like so swollen. everywhere. Oh, my God. They couldn't get down to the ring. The ring was too thick and the penis was too swollen. So then they took needles and (gasps) drained the blood from his penis, which then allowed the doctors to take the ring off. And they actually do note in the article that the man has made a full recovery, but there's no mention about what his wife, whom I'm assuming was home the whole time with their two-week-old baby, oh did to him god. when he got home. Oh my god. So that's my Cochrane quickie. Oh my god, that is insane. And now I'll be a <laughs> little nicer because I when I first had my firstborn, mm-hmm. I came home from the hospital and Zach he said he didn't feel good and then he was sick. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was too sick to be near me and the baby. So he had to go into another room and like be sick. And then finally I was like, if you're this sick, go to the doctor. And then yeah. he went to the doctor and the doctor was like, dude, go home and take care of your wife. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love that doctor. But at least he didn't put a ring on his pee-pee, so that's good. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's crazy. Good quickie. Good quickie. Yeah. I I have to – I should say that was from the Metro.UK, and also I got it courtesy of my husband, Ben. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Are you ready for my crazy story? I am ready for your crazy story. Your crazy stories are always super fun and extra crazy. So I'm excited. This this one is a little crazy. All right. I got this story from an episode of Wicked Attraction. Is this another ID network one? Yes. This this is on my Amazon murder package. Love it. Wicked Attraction. (laughs) (laughs) And then also two different articles, Wikipedia, of course, and then two Mm -hmm. different articles written by Tyra Braden for the- I thought you were going to say Tyra Banks. I was going to be like, what? Dude, I wish. She does it all. all, (laughs) I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. I think that's the second time I've referenced that quote on this podcast. Oh, yeah. It 100% is. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get it out of my mind. Um, Okay. So it's also by Tyra Braden of The Morning Call, Okay, which is a Pennsylvania newspaper. June 15th of 2000. The year is 2000. 26-year-old <laughs> um, Brandon Bloss and his wife, 20-year-old Michelle Hetzel, drove Jeez, to- That's real young. 20? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. These people are young in the story, so it's all very, very sad and tragic. So 20-year-old Michelle Hetzel drove to Carrie Renner's apartment. I believe she was 20 as well. At 2.30 a.m., which is in the morning- Um, You remember 2.30. We used to stay up till that late. Now it's when we have to wake up because our bodies are like, you got to pee. Yes. Or just anxiety. Just general anxiety. anxiety. Um, (laughs) So they drove over to her apartment in a total panic because they said that they were looking for Carrie's girlfriend, who was their friend, 19-year-old Devin Guzman. Michelle was very upset because she said that Devin was supposed to come see her two hours ago, but she never showed up. So she was super concerned. And Michelle was in a panic and insisted on calling the police. But Carrie was like, whoa, 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 hang on, you know, because earlier that night they were drinking and they got into a lover's quarrel. Because 
Devin was only 19 and she was underage. She was like, don't call the police because if the police find her, you know, she'll go to jail because she's 19 and she's drinking. And also she wasn't that concerned because Devin was not, was known to like party and stay out late and stuff. That wasn't unnormal for her to not be home at, at two 30 in the morning, you know, right? Uh, because she was 19. Yeah. I get it. Party don't start till midnight when you're 19. Michelle Hetzel still insisted on calling the police. So she called the, the police and reported Devin missing. And so Brandon, Michelle's husband, he said that he had to go home because he had to work. So because it was late in the late in the night. So he went home, but Kiri and Michelle ended up driving around looking for Devin. They didn't find her. So they ended up going home to get some rest. But then the next morning they met up again and started looking for her again. And they ended up driving to this spot that was called the Old Canal Museum. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this like kind of outdoor spot. They saw Devin's car. So they drive up to the car and Michelle tells Kiri like, look, she's your girlfriend. You go in there and look for her. Knock on the door. And Carrie got up and she went over there and knocked on the window and like she didn't see anything. And then she went back to Michelle's car and said she didn't see anything. And then Michelle was like, go back again, go look one more time. So Carrie then goes over back to the car and this time she sees Devin's body laying in the back seat. And because Carrie was her girlfriend, she had a key to her car. Um, yeah. Which my husband don't even have a key to my car. Just saying. But, uh, so, but she had a key to her car. So she opened it up and she tried to wake her, but she knew something was wrong immediately because Devin's lips and her eyebrows were purple. Oh. So she left the car and then they called the cops. And when the cops arrived, they looked at her body and they saw that Devin was in a fetal position and had blood on the back of her head. They also found a serrated knife, like a kitchen knife, in uh-huh. her hand. And what? when they turned her over, they could see that there was a gaping wound on the front of her neck. Okay. Um, so nobody would tell the girls anything. And so Michelle and Carrie were in the car, like, freaking out, like, what is going on? What is going on? And then... Finally, the coroner just looked both looked at both of them like deadpan and was like, "Yeah, she's dead." And then the both of them were in complete shock, and they said Michelle just started vomiting. Like every, they were just so. I mean, these are young girls, right? And they were so upset. Some things that were strange about the murder scene was that mm-hmm. there was a jacket laying over Devin's body, which is referred to as psychological undoing. That means if you're hiding the body, that means that whoever did it is remorseful. And doesn't want to see the body. And then another thing that was strange was that there was very little blood for such a large wound. So they could tell that she was likely murdered somewhere else, not in the car. And then they could tell that the scene was staged because the knife had no blood on it. Yeah, she was holding a serrated knife, but no blood. And then they also found this is some real Mickey Mouse shit. Yeah, like this is some like real amateur. (laughs) Oh, I know what we're gonna do. Yeah, we're gonna this stage like the scene. The teen bop version of a yeah. murder. Tiger beat. Tiger. This is a tiger beat. Teen bop. <laughs> no, I had I had both. <laughs> <laughs> they also they found a syringe that was just laying on the side of her body, but the needle part was like clipped off in a weird way, and the cap was missing. So it was okay. very strange. So it was staged to kind of look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but they knew that it wasn't because she had cuts and scrapes all over her body to show that she was fighting for her life. Yeah. You know? Oh. So, uh, oh, of course, the – I know. So, of course, the investigators immediately started to question both girls. So they were taken down to the police station. And right away, everyone, as the police are talking to just people in the small town, everybody's like, oh, Carrie and Devin had a crazy volatile relationship. Like they were just known to fight all the time. And in fact, they had a big fight that night. And Carrie admitted that they got into a fight that night. And she said that, Mm -hmm. yeah, it did get physical, but Devin just stormed off. And patrons in the bar below their apartment all confirmed the story. Um, They were apparently fighting so badly that Audra Maynard, who was a bar patron, said she heard a large thump and screaming and was afraid that she was like, these girls are going to kill each other. So she went up there and banged on their door to check on them. 
And when Carrie opened the door, Audra told them like, listen, if you guys don't stop, I'm going to call the police. And she did. She said she did see Devin on the couch wrapped up in a comforter. And she asked if Devin was okay. But Carrie told the woman, you know, mind your own business. And she shut the door in her face. So the police went and searched Carrie and Devin's apartment. And what they did find a small amount of blood on the bathroom mirror. Mm-hmm. And Carrie told them that's Devin's blood. You know, she had cut her hand a few days prior. But so it was a very small amount of blood that they found. And then they found a mat from Devin's car that was sitting oh. in the shower. So that's strange. And so then Carrie said, listen, like we we went camping and we spilled pickled beet juice on it and we were just trying to clean it up. And Mm -hmm. when the police, yeah. So when the police loom and all that, they could see that there were traces of blood in the shower, but they still weren't able to place the crime scene there because there wasn't nearly enough blood that would make sense for the size of the wound that Devin had. But everyone in town, like knowing all these things and knowing Devin and Carrie's relationship, everyone just assumed that it was Carrie that had killed her, you know, and she said that people would scream at her when she walked by calling her a murderer. And she was so fearful for her life that she didn't even go to the funeral. And another thing about Carrie that that was interesting was that she was married to a dude. Yeah. Oh, oh, Okay. Yeah, who who was away in the army. And so I tried to find this guy's name and every article I looked at, I think that they're just trying to keep his name secret. So I don't know his name, but apparently he's in the army or was in the army. And okay. so Carrie said that, yeah, she married him. She was married to this man, but the only reason she ever got married was because she wanted to make Devin jealous. So Jesus. yeah. So Devin and Carrie's relationship actually started in high school. And Devin was in a relationship prior to being in a relationship with Carrie, actually with Michelle Hetzel, the girl from earlier who was trying to help find Devin. Uh So, yeah. So for a while, the three of them would hang out together, all three girls. And then after a while, romantic feelings started to develop between Carrie and Devin. And Devin began dating both girls. So there was a love triangle and they all said that they were all okay with it, that each relationship served kind of a different purpose and they, they got certain things out of each other that they didn't get from different couple combinations. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's like we say, I think with all of anything that's like not the norm of one person and one person, it's like, if everybody's on board and everybody agrees and it's all out in the open, then like, go for it. And if that's truly how they felt, then like, great, that's great. But you know, and if that's what makes you happy, yeah, if that would make you happy, great. And that's as long as you're being open and honest and everybody's agreeing, great. But yeah, I feel like that's not what happened. Yeah, in this case, they said that that's what made them happy. But there was, of course, these are teenage girls, you know, Mm -hmm. there was tons of jealousy and fighting involved. And so Carrie ended up graduating and getting married to this man, apparently, I guess, to make Devin jealous. And then Michelle and Devin both ended up dropping out of high school. And so for reasons unknown, because the files are sealed and nobody knows why, but Michelle was in foster care. And her foster mom had a 25-year-old son named Brandon, who was a chemist. He was kind of a nerdy guy. Brandon, he ended up dating Michelle. Um, Wait, even her foster though, brother? He, yeah. Okay. But she was still seeing Devin as well. Okay. And I feel like Carrie, we're going to need – I'm going to need you to put together a chart. Of all oh, these yeah. relationships. <laughs> <A> flow- I know. <laughs> yeah. It's very complicated. So Carrie and Devin were living together at the time mm-hmm. when Michelle all of a sudden announces that her and Brandon are getting married. Okay. So now she's marrying her foster brother. Okay. Okay. And so she also says that the reason that she got married to Brandon was because she wanted to make Devin jealous. And Jesus. Um, okay. I know. And it worked because Devin was 
totally freaked out by the fact that they were getting married. She would call them constantly and drive by their house. And she even like tried calling Michelle's foster parents and, mm-hmm. and would beg them to not let them get married. But and Michelle ended up filing a complaint of harassment against Devin. The, when the wedding did eventually happen, Devin couldn't go because there was like a, a I guess, a restraint against her. Yeah. Uh, and so... Michelle and Brandon's relationship also was not a marriage made in heaven. <laughs> there what? Were, I'm so surprised. Yeah. Can you believe? So there were fights and arguments and they said she would run up his credit cards because, you know, women be shopping. They do be shopping. I they hear They do be shopping. And so Michelle ended up running back to Devin and Brandon didn't know about this. The... Night that she went missing, Devin and Kiri were actually fight the big fight the the over the fact that Devin was seeing Michelle again. So okay, yeah. Gotcha. While Devin and Kiri were having this fight about her seeing Michelle, Devin's pager goes off, and it was Brandon and Michelle's house phone number. So when she called them back, Brandon said Michelle's really sick and needs Devin to come see her because uh, I think Kiri is the one that called them back and Kiri's like all right well then I'm coming with you so Kiri went with her to Michelle and Brandon's house and when um, they got out of the car Brandon was like hell no get Kiri out of here Michelle wants to see Devin but alone like you cannot be here with Kiri and a neighbor confirms that all of this went down because they heard it at 12 30 a.m. So this places Devin at the house at 1230 a.m. And this is huge because the coroner had actually determined her time of death to be somewhere between midnight and 3 a.m. So now it's looking like it happened at this house. And okay. so, so now she's at, what's his name? Mich- Brandon, uh, and Brandon and Michelle's, Michelle's house. house. Yeah. The police receive an anonymous tip that there is this man that used to hang out with all of the girls. It was Mm -hmm. just like an older dude that would buy them alcohol and stuff. A real, real cool guy creep. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool creep guy. We all knew those guys when we were 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So he said that one night when they were all hanging out and Devin and Kiri went home together, Michelle was furious that they went home. This guy said that Michelle offered him sex, money, or both in exchange for getting Devin out of the way, quote unquote. So he said that he never took it seriously, of course, until Devin but wasn't, turned up But murdered. wasn't Devin like the one that they both wanted? Yeah. So wouldn't it be yeah. Kiri out of the way? You would think. Yeah, you would think. Yeah. I don't know. So police then get a search warrant for Michelle's house because of the timeline. When they search it, they found a pair of Michelle's jeans soaking in the washing machine. Mm-hmm. And they were able to take a sample and they could see that it was blood. Like there was a lot of blood in there, but that it was diluted. So they couldn't tell whose blood it was. And then another thing that they found was they found the syringe cap that fit the syringe that was found at the crime scene. Oh, okay. Because Michelle actually worked at um, a medical office and also had access to those sur- those types of syringes. Mm-hmm. And then they impounded Michelle's car and inside it, they found more bloody clothes. And upon investigating records and credit card records, they found out that Michelle and Devin actually went on a recent secret trip to St. Croix together. They both lied to their partners and told them that they were going on work trips or whatever, but they, really they were together. What, and what nineteen-year-old has a work trip? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I know. I didn't have a work trip <laughs> to St. Croix to waiting tables, <laughs> right? So, yeah. I mean, I did were, get to go to the like suburbs store to train, but that was about the it. Sister restaurant, <laughs> the sister restaurant. Yeah. To do, yeah, to train them how to hostess, but that's it. Yeah, same. <laughs> so, and then when they were in St. Croix, they ended up exchanging rings and having a private ceremony, a wedding ceremony. And they said that they vowed to like leave Brandon and Curie um, when they got home. Jesus but Christ, this is so... High school? This is too much. I'm too... I'm exhausted hearing about this. It's very exhausting. And it's very, very high school-esque. And yeah. Because they were so young. So when they got back, that didn't happen. They didn't leave their significant others. And the trip cost about $7,000, which Michelle had charged to Brandon's credit cards. Brandon Wool's pay us. Yeah, man. So the night of 
Devin's murder, Devin and Michelle had met at Devin's father's house before this was all before her and Carrie had gotten into this fight. So Devin and Michelle met at Devin's father's house and there they got into a fight because Michelle was mad that Devin was still living with Carrie and Devin was mad that she was still married to Brandon and they both left the house angry. She drove home and started fighting with Carrie and then Michelle drove home and went back to her husband's house. Okay. And so now Michelle is looking like Mm -hmm. a pretty good suspect And in the state of Pennsylvania, it's actually legal for police to search through your trash once it's curbside. Okay. Which interesting. Mm -hmm. So they ended up searching through Michelle. That's a lot of a lot of states it is. Is it like once you you basically is it here? (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Jen's Jen's gonna start shredding some stuff. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if it is here, but I do know that. Mostly it's like, well, you've abandoned this. Your intention is for it to go to the dump. So it's no longer yours. So police can go through your trash. Yeah. Good thing they could go through her trash because. Mm -hmm. Because what uh, they find. What they found was they found a bandage with a blood stain on it in the size of a human bite mark. So it was like in the shape of a bite mark on this bandage. <gasps> so the police, they go to Brandon and Michelle and they're like, roll up your sleeves, let's see your arms, let's see your legs, you know. That's so and, law and order. And when they did, um, they saw on Brandon, the inside of Brandon's left forearm, he had a giant bite mark. I knew it was Brandon the whole time. Dun, dun, dun. Brandon. So, the scientist. Brandon the scientist. It's always the quiet ones. I know. It's crazy. And they compared the bite mark on his arm to the bite mark on the bandage, and they matched. But now they had to prove that the bite came from Devin. So unfortunately, the only way that they could do that was they did have to exhume her body. And her parents were horrified by it, but also to find the killer, just do what you need to do. So they exhumed her body, and they cast her teeth, and they saw that it was a match, the bite mark on his arm and on on the bandage. I mean, they both had motive. Of course, Brandon doesn't like that his wife is still seeing her ex-girlfriend and right. wants this, would want this person out of her life. And also, Michelle and Devin were notorious for having a tumultuous relationship together. So, right. uh, you know, it would make sense for both of them. When the DNA testing came back from the clothes that were in Michelle's trunk, it yeah. actually showed that it was Brandon's blood mixed with Devin's blood. What? I know. Oh, so, God. It was, it's just like you can just imagine what kind of horror scene this was. I know. And this was, you know, in Michelle's car. One of the neighbors testified also that they saw Brandon the day after the murder cleaning up all around his yard with a garden hose like all day long. So when the police checked the garden hose on like the nozzle, they found traces of blood on that as well. Um, oh my God. Another reason that police believe that the two of them were involved was that apparently on Devin's body, it showed that there were there were markings on her, like as if two different people were carrying her at the same time. Oh, so, okay. So yeah. like probably finger marks on the top part and finger not- marks yeah. on the bottom. Yeah. Oh. And something about also the way that her, the markings on her pants were kind of showed she was dragged a little bit on one side because Michelle was so much smaller and weaker. It's science. <laughs> uh, so, um, I mean, if you want to know how they know, why don't you just go to school? Why don't you just for like, it? Why don't you be like a criminologist? <laughs> we can't do that for you. I can't you. tell you how. Um, So on October 13th, 2000, two months after the murder, police charged both Brandon Bloss and Michelle Hetzel with first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. And they don't go to trial, though, until October of 2011. I'm sorry. 2001. I was like, ding, dang. A year later. A year later. That's that's pretty typical. Yeah. Yeah. So, but by the time that they go to trial, Brandon and Michelle aren't even together anymore at this point. Not only like crazy, you're just like, what? What was this all for then? Exactly, you You dumb young idiots. Dumb young idiots. At this point, they're not together, and they're definitely blaming each other. Like it was all him. It was all her. I had nothing to do with it. All him. Right. And so the bite mark came from Brandon, and it was 
because of Brandon's strength, it was probably more likely that he was the one that committed the deadly act of cutting mm-hmm. her throat. But they said that there was like more than enough evidence to show that Michelle had helped with the cover up. So on October 5th, 2001, only eight hours of deliberation, the Northampton County jury convicted both of them on first degree murder. Um, eight and- hours is so little. I know. It's so little time. Like I used to, when I used to work for a federal judge, I mean, I had to kind of manage trials and juries and (laughs) that's like nothing. I mean, it really is like they got upstairs, they got all the evidence, somebody brought lunch because they order it beforehand. So they ate lunch, they made a decision and came down. Like they took one vote and were like, okay, let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So they were both found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. And the last that I could see when I was researching is the only thing that I saw was that Michelle Hetzel still is appealing and sticking to her guns that she was she was innocent. But oh, so they probably so. nobody ever made any uh, statements about what happened or why they did it or not I mean I, I guess you could yeah. So <sighs> not that that would so make it she- any better there's not not like there's a good reason well that's an awful story about some awful people yeah (laughs) not fun not fun so what do you got you got something a little bit happier i do i have a real sweet story good good and good good. these are all good and also i think you're gonna love it because jen it's a sports story Stamos. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's a John. It's about John Stamos. Jason Bateman. Jason Bateman's in uh, it. Jason okay. Bateman's in Well, you can just imagine it's Jason Bateman. <laughs> okay, uh, I'll take no, a sports it's, love. I'll take sports love. It's a sports love. Sports well, love it's like for sports a thousand. <laughs> I got it. I gave it okay. to you. Okay, so this comes – I got – uh, my story from oh, an article in Runner's World, okay. uh, CNN.com, Good Morning America, and a website called SimpleMost.com. Those all sound like very happy sources. I mean, very happy sources. Actually, my main source who found this story for me was my husband, Ben, because I was like, I can't Aww. find any love stories. And then he found, he was like, nailed it, found the perfect one. It was That's great. That's the thing, you guys. We need you to send our us your love stories because – it's a very, very sad thing, but it is way easier for us to find not love stories. Like the it's so hard to find love stories. Yeah. Love stories. So let's, yeah. let's tilt the scales a bit. Yeah, tilt, tilt the, scales. the scales. Give us your love stories. Plus, yeah. you guys are more interesting than the rest of the world. So exactly. Except for this story. This one's okay. awesome. Okay. Yay, so this okay. is a story about Anthony Butler. So he he was one of those kids who he was like very smart, but he was somehow still always in trouble in school. Like Aww. he wasn't a bad kid, but he just had too much energy, you know? And so he was a class yeah. clown. He probably wasn't being challenged. He had good grades, but he was always in the principal's office. And I think me. was it you? Yeah, I was oh, gonna yeah. say I think I had I, good grades. I was smart, but I was yeah. also always challenging everything. Yes. Just right. Challenging. It's like and look, you turned out fine. Like, I think we all knew kids like that yeah. at school. Like, <laughs> no, sorry, go ahead. I mean, we can debate those merits. But, and I think that, like, that's a lot of kids were like that. Like, you know, people who were just like had so much energy and had like, a lot of different interests. And so school just didn't keep keep them focused. And so they were in trouble. And, and right. you know, it's like, even though they were in trouble, you think, most of those kids grow out of it, right? Like you grew out of your like wild phase and mm-hmm. found things that were interesting to you. And and for Anthony Butler, it seemed like that was how things were headed. Like he struggled as a teenager. He had started kind of, he started buying and selling weed with money he made working at McDonald's. His dad was actually a general manager there and gave him the job the day he graduated from eighth grade. Wow. And but Anthony got kicked out of five different high schools for his antics, uh, but he ended up getting his GED. But like a lot of kids like that like him, as he got a little bit older, he found a way to start focusing his energy. And when he was 20, he started taking classes um, to become a medical assistant. And to wow. pay for that, he got a job at Swatch. Um the and the and it turned out yeah, the watch company. So oh. as a salesman. So it turned out like all of his charm and energy made him this great salesman. And he lived yeah. in Anthony lived in the Bronx, but he worked at the big swatch store in Manhattan. 
And so one day in September of 2008, he actually sold 175 watches in an hour to a bus full of Brazilian tourists. Like that's how good of a salesman he was. That's right. Awesome. So he was like coming into his own. He worked on commission. So this was like a big day for him. And actually, that same day that that happened, he was he had taken the train back home to uh, to his apartment in the Bronx, and he was hanging out with some friends. Um, and then another group of men came up to them. These are guys that like his crew had like a history with, uh-uh. and the men started yelling. And it was Anthony who was like you know always the one trying to make jokes, and he was the one who tried to calm things down. So he was like, I'm pretty sure we all have drugs on us. Let's not do anything. Like we don't want to bring the cops here. But then something happened and all hell broke loose and guns were drawn (gasps) and bullets started flying. And one bullet went through his left leg and then through his left leg and into his right leg. And then he staggered back against a wall and he was shot again above his left eyebrow and the bullet exited through the right temple and it shredded his retinas and so that bullet hit him and everything went dark and then he woke up in the hospital the next morning and he couldn't see and he was handcuffed to a hospital bed oh my god so apparently the cops had arrived first on the scene and found that he had several warrants out for skipping court dates. When he was taken to the hospital, he was taken as a prisoner. He stayed handcuffed to the bed for a couple days until a judge came and he was actually legally cleared of the, of the shooting and the handcuffs were removed, but his sight never returned. He was still able to walk, even though a bullet was still lodged in his leg. He held out hope that his vision would come back, but a month after the doctors told Anthony that he would never see again. And... This realization really like broke him down, but in a way, it was this clean break that he needed. He had started to turn his life around, but he was still selling weed, just getting in trouble. And so he initially decided that he was going to move to North Carolina to live with his mom. But then right before the move, something told him that he should stay. He was like, I need to stay where I have a group of supportive friends that can help me recover. And so he canceled his flight at the last minute. And that flight that he was supposed to be on was actually that flight that went down in the Hudson River. <gasps> the Sully Sullenberg flight. Yes. Isn't that crazy? Wow. So he felt like that obviously was a sign. He was like, Is I need Sullenberg to stay in New York. Or I don't know. I thought it was Sullenberg, but it may be Sullenberger. You know, right. we all know him. I just know him as Sully, my good <laughs> my good friend Sully. <laughs> so he was like, this is a sign. New York is where I'm supposed to be. And so for two years, Anthony actually lived at Chelsea Foyer, which is a supportive housing shelter. And that helped prepare him to live independently, to go back to school, to start a career, and to kind of live life as a person with a vision impairment. And it really, really helped him. He he moved into his own apartment. He went to college. He ended up getting a Bachelor of Fine Arts from the New School and a Master of Social Work from NYU. So wow. pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And as his career got going, he decided that he wanted to get back into good shape. He had been a basketball player growing up and kind of like as he was going to school, you know, he just got out of shape. And so a friend of his, another social worker, suggested this group called Achilles. And Achilles is a nonprofit founded by the first amputee who finished the New York Marathon. And it helps disabled runners train and compete in races by pairing them with able-bodied supporters and volunteers. Anthony was like, you know, I was not ever around other people with disabilities. He was like, and so I just wanted a group where there were people who were had different abilities and to see how they were making things work for themselves. And so, so it was the summer of 2014 at this point, and Anthony decided to give Achilles a try. So in this group, runners who have sight impairments are paired with a sighted runner and they run together. They hold a tether, just like kind of a a piece of fabric, and one holds one end and the other holds the other. And the sighted runner acts as a guide, yeah, giving directions, kind of pointing out obstacles. And Anthony was initial initially paired with a woman named Kate Dixon, who was also new to running. And they kind of built up their endurance together, going from like 
running one mile to running six miles to actually running their first half marathon in 2015. Wow. And Kate and Anthony formed not just the two of them, but this group of several other pairs of runners. And they began doing these big group runs and they built this like kind of awesome community together. Anthony said that Achilles gave me the sense of community like I was going to church. And together, this group traveled to do marathons in places like Canada and Cuba, which was all new to Anthony. He had never been on an airplane before joining the group. And Anthony, who was like that troublemaking kid with a big personality, was now the ringleader of this running group. So in 2016, a woman named Jessie Ricks was looking for a place to volunteer. And Jessie had grown up in Fergus Falls, Minnesota, which is a town of 13,000 people and also randomly is home to one of the funniest comedians on the planet, Chad Daniels. Do you know Chad? Yeah. Well, I know who he is. I don't know him personally, but yes, he's very funny. Yeah. So that's where he lives. That's where he has always like kind of done comedy from there. Yeah. And so if you guys don't know Chad, go and listen to any one of his amazing albums. Like he is the best in the business. He's also like one of my favorite people to hang out with on the road. So, but that is kind of, it was kind of random. I was like, why do I know Fergus Falls? And I was like, oh, right. That's where Chad Daniels lives. Okay. So Jesse had moved from Minnesota to New York City in 2012 to attend the Laboratory of Institute Merchandising because she wanted to pursue a career in fashion. So mm-hmm. she had always been a runner and she kept up with it when she moved, but she hadn't found any friends to run with. Like she's, She is an introvert, and she loved the solitude that running gave her. But after a few years in New York City, she realized like that she was really craving a community. Like she really missed her running buddies. Hard to actually. You would think in a city that has so many people, it's actually really hard to make friends in New York City. It's very hard. Yeah, I was. I you know I was lucky that I made friends because I was a new mom. Mm -hmm. So I, I joined like a new moms group, but I. It would have been very hard to make friends, even like having a built-in like comedy community. Most of my friends that I left New York with were ones that I had known before I got there. Yeah, same. Yeah, when I when I did live there, yeah, it was. I feel like it's because everybody is there because they have a goal, and everybody's there working and grinding and working towards something, and so it's kind of really easy to stay in your own lane and keep your head down, and hard to meet other people. Yeah. So. And I I think part of it is like there's so much. There's so many possibilities. There's so yeah. many things to do. My friend Kim is, who lives there and, and she's lived there forever and she loves it and she's like in dating, you know, there's like people always feel like oh there's somebody somebody better or something better, or there's something more fun because there really is so there really are so, so many, many possibilities, you know. Yeah. Um and I think that's probably the same with friends. <laughs> Okay, so she, yeah, so she was craving community. You know, she missed having running buddies. And she learned about Achilles on this website called NewYorkCares.org, which is kind of like, hey, here's places to volunteer in New York. And so she decided to give it a try. It was like, seemed to be exactly what she needed. It was a place to feel like she was doing some good and a group to run with. And so, Mm -hmm. and she had actually seen members of Achilles when she was doing her own runs in Central Park. And so Jesse went to her first Achilles run on a spring afternoon. And she says that she noticed Anthony right away. She was like, here's this good looking guy who's laughing and having the time of his life with this huge group around him. And for a shy person like Jesse, Anthony's boisterous personality was intriguing. She was like, he had, he's like talking and laughing. And I was just like, I want to run with that guy. Mm-hmm. And and even more, like she fell in love with this group. She thought she was like, it's so nice to see people genuinely happy to be together. I didn't know that existed anymore. Uh-huh. And so she started regularly attending the runs. And Anthony's first guide, Kate Dixon, was actually getting ready to move. So he needed a new running partner. And so Jesse and Anthony started running together. They would meet at 5 a.m. And they became friends. And as much as 
she was attracted to kind of his humor and his sparkle. He was attracted to her calm demeanor. He said she was sweet, she was soft-spoken, and she just kept to her word. He knew if she was said she was going to do something, she would. And that was like something that that like stability was so attractive to him. They would spend the hours, long hours of their runs tethered together, just like getting to know each other. They would talk about their past. They would talk about their interests and their hopes for the future. And they started hanging out after runs. Like they would go, you know, they would go on these 5 a.m. runs and they would have brunch or they would go on an evening run with the group and they would have drinks. But Jesse was dating someone else. So even though they had this mutual attraction, they remained friends at first. And of course, it didn't stay that way for long because Jesse and the guy she was dating broke up. And then Anthony was there for her through all of these kind of ups and downs. And she said, he was so easy to confide in. It felt like a natural progression. Once my relationship ended, everything just felt just fell into place. And Anthony always remembered what a volunteer told him on his first run. She had said, I met my husband here. Maybe you can meet your girlfriend. Oh, wow. So Anthony and Jesse started dating. And after a year, they moved into Anthony's apartment together in Harlem And together, Anthony says, we chill, we laugh, and that's it. We watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance, and every once in a while, we'll go for drinks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But for the most part, we just run a lot. And they've run dozens of races together, including seven marathons. And they've traveled all over the country and around the world. They ran the Paris Marathon, and Jesse narrated the entire course. She said, Anything that I'm seeing, even if it's something silly someone's wearing on the course, I'll describe it to Anthony because I want him to share that memory with me. Whether he sees it or he doesn't, as long as he's there, that's all that matters. That's sweet. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And Jesse says that Anthony has this amazing perspective on life and that it has really changed her own outlook on everything. She says, Anthony's personality brings them balance. He's fearless. He takes charge of his own life, and I needed to be reminded of that for myself. Sometimes it's hard for me to have that confidence. He makes me realize I can step out and just go after it like he can. And Anthony says that Jesse calms him down. He says, she's made me softer, kinder, and more patient over time. And running together has helped the two develop a trust that has made made their relationship stronger. I was going to say, I mean, the trust that you would have to have for each other to run tethered like that. Right. Yeah. He said, he's like, he's like, I'm blind. I have to trust the person guiding me to make sure I don't hurt myself. And so he's like, there's so much more, it's such a more intimate experience than just running by yourself or running with another person, you know, in general. have to be honest. I don't think that I would run tethered to, if I had to wear a blindfold and my husband I was tethered to my husband <laughs> right? and he was telling me where to be. I was like, hell no. <laughs> yeah, have you hell ever no. done that like like trust exercise where you're bl- like in a I trust at work or anything? No. <laughs> where you're like, you know, somebody's blindfolded and you have to be like, okay, take two steps forward, now go, whatever, and guide them to do something. Have you ever done that? I have, but I, I I'm honest like I, I'm honest when I say I, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up like in a household where we were always fucking with each other. And so that's why I'm so amazed at the trust that these people have in each other. It's beautiful. I'm jealous. I wish I could do that. I think that's amazing. Maybe that could be your quarantine goal. Jen, you and oh, you and Zach, me doing do some falls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna crack my head open. Oh my god. No. <laughs> Their trust built from the running, like helps them trust that they're feelings for each other. Like they, Jesse is like, he has no idea what I look like. If means that he must love, love who I am truly as a person. And Anthony says like, I've always told my friends I could never date a girl if she doesn't believe it when I tell her she's beautiful, because obviously I can't see her. (laughs) Like Jesse knows I wouldn't lie when I tell her she's beautiful. She hears the sincerity in my voice and I feel the same from her. And the two actually hope that their story will encourage other people put themselves out there and give new things a try. And Jesse says, if you don't put yourself out there, you don't know what you're missing. I just went out on a Tuesday to go volunteer and go for a run. Anthony did the same thing. You really don't know just by saying yes to something what that's going to do for your future. And so that's the story of Jesse and Anthony Butler. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. I love that. 
Yeah, they're really and they're That's super cute one. too. <laughs> There's all Aww. these really cute stories they of the just or sound pictures so of them. Cute. Running. I don't. Yeah. yeah, like I don't even. I haven't seen a picture yet. I can't wait to see pictures. But I'm picturing them in my head, and they're really good looking. They are just very good looking. Stunning. They're good in looking. My head. They look like they're having a fun time. <laughs> Awesome. Oh, I love, I love it. it. Thanks for bringing it back to someplace good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we do something dumb and something we love? Yeah, I will start. Um, so something dumb is that I am back to, even though we are in quarantine and I uh-huh. don't have to wake up at any particular time and I should be able to sleep, I cannot sleep. I'm back to my rounds of nightmarish insomnia. But so that is dumb. But the good thing is being um, friends with a lot of comedians, I have a lot of friends that stay up all night long. (laughs) (laughs) I am not uh, one of them, but (laughs) you're not. um, But I get to uh, like in the middle of the night, if I'm like scrolling through Facebook or something, my friend Powell, you know, Powell Mansfield. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a comedian. He's so funny. You guys, you all need to follow him. He's hilarious. He'll always see that I'm like up and then all I can always count on Powell's to send me crazy videos or just hilarious things that he's doing at all hours of the night they're yeah. hours of entertainment love 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 <laughs> him one thing i wanted to say that was uh so awesome he sent me these pictures of him in this tooth costume <laughs> and which i completely forgot but he powell used to as a side job used to be um a tooth a lot of comedians <laughs> have weird day jobs <laughs> But he would dress up as a tooth in this giant tooth costume. And then he would have go on, I guess, like around to schools with this dentist and be the tooth mascot. And oh my God, um, that's amazing. We, we call it toothy in our house, but I think it's a different name. But he brought one day my daughter a tooth doll. She calls toothy. And it's a doll <laughs> version of him, this mascot that he wears. Inside of it was like a little pocket on the tooth doll. Um, So my daughter was like, oh, and there's a little pocket here. And Powell goes, that's to keep your secrets in. <laughs> and, then my friend, and then our friend Sam Severin, who's also an amazing comedian, was there too. And she goes, no, I think that's to put your tooth in. And I was like, oh my God, you should probably stop saying that to kids. That's to put your secrets school, in? That's to put your secrets in. <laughs> so the thing that I love, because I wanted to share this picture, I'm going to post it of him in his tooth costume because you can't not laugh when you see it. It's the most amazing thing ever. But I'm um, so excited. I just love that, you know, even in the middle of the night when I'm feeling shitty, I can count on Powell to send me hilarious pictures like him in a tooth costume. Oh, I love that. He's such love a... It. So funny. I let's see. Okay, something dumb is I'm supposed to be in Taos right now on a girls' weekend with uh, my friend Dr. Dude Fuck and our friend Taos? Grace. Taos, New Mexico. Oh. New Mexico. It's like a beautiful mountain resort town near Santa Fe. Oh man. Yeah. I'm so sorry, I didn't know that. Yeah, we had like planned this weekend and. Oh. Um, and yeah, and so, um, so that's real dumb because I keep getting. I mean, everybody is like missing out on things. Yes, from your yeah. phone that keeps sending you reminders of this thing you had in your. Yes, calendar. it's like your flight. Don't forget to check every flight. I'm like, okay, oh. flight was canceled. Um, and I, it's like such that's a small a thing in the scheme of everything that's happening, but it is like a you know just a little like salt in my wound. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's dumb. But something I love is, well, well, I loved that last night I got to play, have a a virtual happy hour with them. And and we played some games on House Party. And that was so fun to like just catch up and, and see them. But I also love all the entertainment that I'm getting. I love, I started watching Nailed It season four, which just oh, brings me so much joy. So good. So funny. Also, celebrities on this season are like top notch. It's great. Fortune Beamster. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam McKay. Adam McKay. It's great. Yes. So we, yes, we, Ben and I have been watching that and loving it. Also, my good friend Tom Takar, uh, who's an amazing comedian. I love Tom Takar. Yeah. So he's, love, love. 
he is taking over a podcast on Comedy Central that's just it's like stand up clips and he basically curates it and talks about stand up and it's so great. It's called Stand Up with Tom Dakar. And so check that out. And then also Diane Gallagher has a new podcast. Yeah, hell yeah, yeah. Diane. Get yeah, it. it's called uh, Rock the Cash Bar and it's about like misheard lyrics and basically songs that um, they talk about songs that they love. And that's my favorite um, thing ever is misheard yes. lyrics. Oh my God, I can't wait to listen to that. That's amazing. Yeah, so I think her the they just put out their first episode. So nice. um, so yeah, so ca- catch that. Uh, catch that. Uh, and then I also, I just like, catch that, catch that. that And then one last thing, so many good things. I put out like just a a couple minutes ago, I was like, hey, we're finishing up recording our episode and I want to like shout out organizations that are doing good things in um, different communities. And I one from our listener Songbird 633, who she said, right now media is providing free streaming of Bible studies. So check that out. That's really great. Cool. That's that's all I got. That's like, you guys, we did it. Nice, man. We did it. I know. I a little know this, but it took us. (laughs) 7,000 attempts to get this recorded because <laughs> fucking Wi-Fi wasn't working. Our fucking Wi-Fi was not working. Like what? Jen's kicked her off and then mine kicked me off and then Jen's kicked her <laughs> off and then mine kicked me off. It was uh, it was a whole thing. But yeah. uh, I think we got it. Hell I think, yeah. I think we really nailed it. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay. And if you're not, please get in touch. Let us know if there's anything we can do. You can send us your love stories or just uh, whatever on uh, to our email, which is dumblovepod at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at dumblovepodcast. You can follow us on Patreon. Jen, what's happening on Patreon? So on Patreon, we're having a party. So I'm, <laughs> we're doing all kinds of like bonus pictures. I'm sending links of videos of things that we talk about. So you can see like video of uh, Carrie Schmidt's Single Rose Project. They just posted that. And we're doing extra quickies. So yep. I feel like yep. we're saving our like weirdest quickies for the extra quickies. Oh, yeah. If, you, yeah, like, if you like the weird stuff, go over there. <laughs> There's a video of Sally and I drinking heavily right before uh-huh. quarantine. Yep. Um, so there's there's stuff on there. And there's, there's stuff on there. There's if you have if you're gonna be more. Yeah. If you have extra money, do that. We understand that people are money is tight, so we would never yeah, expect anyone to do that. But if you wanna, we're over there. We'll be there. Yeah, so thank you guys. I hope you had an okay week. Me too. I hope you guys are all hanging in and uh, talk to us. Let us know how you're doing. And uh, stay inside and do something dumb for love. <laughs> <laughs>